Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. This show is produced by Go Green Locally Org, a 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is to provide information, resources, and support for green living and for caring for the environment. A quick rundown of today's show. We're going to be hearing from Neil Bertrando, who's with RT Permaculture. We'll also be learning about Growing Nevada's second annual week-long local food celebration happening the second week of August. We'll also meet Eva Ruiz, the owner of a natural foods business called Low and Kind Bakery. And to finish off, we'll hear from Erica Gallegos with Green Biz Tracker that's helping Nevada businesses take steps to be more sustainable and environmentally friendly through a free state program. And lastly, we'll run through some quick local events and a quick green living tip. And let's dive in. Today I'm speaking with Neil Petrando. Neil is based in Reno and manages a 1.3 acre homestead with his wife Katie, a scientist, and the help of many in the community. Neil's passion is enriching bioregions by building community and broadening the local genetic diversity of practical plants and animals to relocalize resource supply networks. He strives for collaboration in his work and runs RT Permaculture, a consulting design and education business. A love to laugh, play, innovate, and co-create with other regenerative designers infuses his work. Neil specializes in arid climates, watershed restoration, erosion control, and small-scale agroforestry. He has a master's degree in environmental science from UNR, where his research focused on the effects of urban corridor on stream health and regional nutrient cycling. Welcome, Neil. Thanks, Jenny. So for those who are not familiar with permaculture, can you tell us what that is? Permaculture is a design system. It was developed by two men in Australia in the 70s, Bill Mollison and David Holmgren. And it's um, basically an ethically driven design system that focuses on ways to design sustainable and regenerative human ecosystems. There's lots of different definitions out there. It's a a movement of people. Mm -hmm. It's also this design system. It is a contraction of the words permanent and culture. You could say it's kind of like uh, a design that partners with nature. Great. So could you tell us a little bit about what the benefits of building more local genetic diversity might be? Well, there's many benefits. One is enhancing native local biodiversity. So making sure that we are preserving and creating habitat where both native plants and animals and other organisms can thrive and are supported at the same time as you know our human communities are are supported and uh, the other side of it is increasing uh, functional species biodiversity and by functional species biodiversity I mean particularly plants and animals that humans utilize um, that we've co-evolved with over time and that we've you know bred and, and developed particularly through the systems of, of agriculture but also through other sorts of um, land stewardship methods um, like those that were practiced by you know, many indigenous peoples throughout the world and the useful plants and, and animals aren't necessarily native to a region and uh, you know humans we've already done that dramatically moved plants and animals all around the world specifically for agriculture primarily but also um, for horticulture and landscape gardens and things like that flowers and all sorts of other plants have been moved around the world so by increasing the the number of available plant and animal resources locally we build resilience into our native agricultural systems and our native communities um, because as climate changes and uh, the conditions 
for annual growth are potentially different and swinging widely um, between hot and cold or getting drier or getting wetter, depending on where you are on the planet, or maybe just experiencing more droughts and more flooding, wider extremes. Having a broader genetic diversity as the base for our food production systems and even our other industrial and home economic production systems, such as medicine and fiber and such, uh, having that broader genetic base provides a wider range of organisms that can tolerate a wider range of conditions. Obviously, it has to be appropriate to the local climate. Um, however, we're not really sure at this point what, what direction that's going to take um, as the climate shifts. And so both things that have been shown to work here historically, as well as trying new, new species and or new varieties of existing proven species that are maybe just kind of on the edge of, of being successful here, um, that might be successful here in 25 or you know, 50 years, because a lot of plant species in particular, you know, woody species, species like shrubs and trees um, can easily live for 25 to 50 years, you know, sometimes upwards of a few hundred years and even into the you know extremes of thousands of years when we're talking about trees and, and such. So those organisms are, are likely going to see, you know, even more shifting in, in the climate than, than we will during our lifetimes, during their lifetimes. And so it's good to have a, a diversity of, of organisms so that, you know, if something like supply chains get diminished or be, it becomes more expensive to move things around the planet and even, you know, interstate, then we have kind of a, a foundation off of which we can build and share and distribute and cultivate locally. So where do you suggest people turn to for making good choices for diversity? Like looking at some heirloom varieties, if someone's going to be putting in, let's say, an annual vegetable garden or if someone is choosing like foundational shrubs and trees and things maybe looking at some other types of perennial options where, where would you suggest people turn to sure um yeah so you know through my work and, and the, the people i work with um we primarily practice a biocide um, particularly chemical biocide free uh type of, of practice and also generally question um, some of the modern technology like genetic modification. So yeah, I, I first looked for something like um, organic, if possible. There, there's lots of products out there that are available that are organic. Um, and, and for annual seeds, yeah, lo- local would be great. If you can find them, that it can be tricky. You can save your own seed. But yeah, purchasing seed and having them shipped in at this point, I think is, is a totally great idea. That's what, what I do with a lot of stuff. Uh, and heirloom and organic varieties are great for vegetables. And then I mean, also for, you know, herbs and other perennials, if you can find something that's kind of, you know, branded or labeled or you know, certified like that. And also things that are already, you know, here locally successful for a lot of the, the perennials and, and varieties of, of fruit, berries and nuts and things like that. Um, there's already a lot of varieties that are here that are successful. So, you know, visiting places around town that already have fruit trees that are working is a great place for people to get started and or, you know, perennial plants getting divisions or, or seedlings from ones that have already grown locally is, is a good way to kind of just expand the site diversity at, you know, someone's home. For for annual seeds, there's some, one of the suppliers that I use extensively is called fedco.com. Oh, they're based in Maine. They're a cooperative. They have everything from a, a wide range of heirloom fruit trees, apples in particular, um, but also pears and uh, other fruit trees to complete a large selection of seeds for both perennial herbs and annual fruits and vegetables. And they purchase seed from growers all across the United States and then redistribute it. So, you know, you can find seeds that were grown in the high deserts of Colorado or something like that if you're looking for, uh, you know, some sort of heirloom sweet corn or, or something like that. And 
they test all their seeds for that are in species which are likely to be genetically modified for genetic modification. So you can have a you know a high level of confidence that you're not getting GMO seeds if you prefer not to get those. So they're great. There's also uh, Seed Savers Exchange, um, Baker Seed Company, Johnny's Seed. You know all of those companies are are really good as well if you're looking for fruit and vegetable seeds in particular. Um, if I'm looking for something like uh, native wildflowers or other native perennials, I will look at uh, Comstock Seed, which is in Gardnerville, Nevada. That's the, the most local seed company that I know of. Ed Kleiner is the, the guy that runs that. He's been doing it for probably a couple decades at least. Uh, he's great. He's, he grows a lot of the seeds himself and does others collect um, collects others from wildlands. And uh, I highly recommend both his seed mixes and individual seeds for wildflowers and other native plants. So that's a, a great way to improve you know, the diversity of a, of a local site is to get wildflower mix and spread it around and get that established in, in at least a small patch because the, the native wildflowers are much better for the, the native pollinators and the native biodiversity side of things. I also get stuff from a place called Plants of the Southwest, which uh, is in New Mexico, and they have a, a whole bunch of great desert perennial seeds. Uh, so th- those are really good places to get kind of that side of the spectrum. Yeah. And then woody perennials like fruit trees and stuff, uh, Peaceful Valley Farm and Supply is great for all sorts of stuff, also for, for annual seeds. You can look up many, you know, um, herb, medicinal herb and, and culinary herb seed providers as well around around the U.S. So uh, usually I do purchase online from different providers and stuff and then grow stuff out locally and then start d- dividing and, and uh, propagating plants. Some other local nurseries uh, that, that would be great to, to look into, depending on what you're looking for, are uh, the Washoe Tree Nursery from the Nevada Division of Forestry. They're a really great supplier if you have uh, one acre and you're outside the city limits, or one acre or more and you're outside the city limits. Uh, and uh, local nursery, Loping County Farms, they have a lot of great stuff available. You can go to their website and they do a, an annual bare root sale. And then uh, here at uh, our Reno Food System, systems nonprofit we're also I'm growing out a lot of of seedlings native perennial and productive perennial plants and, and things like that as well as a annual seedling program nice can you tell us some ways that regenerative projects have been benefiting our northern Nevada communities you know I think one of I've got several really favorite examples from kind of a suite of different approaches to it I guess I would say you know the the Nevada Grown and the Specialty Crops Institute work through promoting and bringing awareness to, to local farmers and connecting them with the community. Um, you know, putting helping people getting to know their farmers and the, and the local food system and the local food movement, as well as uh, bringing in professionals to teach workshops on different aspects of commercial farming. They've done some really great work uh, and they continue to. Prema Farms, just just north of Reno is doing some really amazing, highly bio-intensive, diverse market garden production farming. The River School Farm has done some amazing work with edible landscaping and low water use landscaping, as well as commercial production farming, both at city parks, as well as at um, commercial businesses like Patagonia, and then also you know helping people install edible landscapes in their at their private residences and such. And uh, also, then another one of my favorites is uh, the Urban Roots Garden class you know, exposing youth to gardening and farming and diverse systems which provide our, our food and support our community as well as the wildlife. Those are some of my favorite ones that have, have really, I think, given a lot back to, to the community. So with all of your research and studies and experience, what are some of the most exciting possibilities, project possibilities that you see for Northern Nevada as we start taking on more of these projects? You know, one of the things that, that we're doing with Reno Food Systems is we have the Park Farm, uh, which I think is a really exciting model where we're 
a nonprofit that has partnered with the public sector, Washoe County. And we have a lease on portion of one of their parks, Betsy Colin Donnelly Park. And Betsy Colin Donnelly Park was donated by Betsy Colin Donnelly. It's 30 acres inside the McCarran Loop on, on Mayberry and McCarran. And it has a, a deed restriction that it has to be perpetually used for agriculture. And so, um, you know, part of it is an actual you know, public developed parkland with grass turf and walkways and trees and, a, you know, creek goes through there, Alum Creek, and they have a, a small orchard. And then they also have a, a portion that's leased out for grazing, which, you know, grazing and ranching historically has been one of the primary agricultural production methods in, in the region. And then we have a, a five acre section of that that we lease that where we're doing a production market garden vegetable farm, as well as uh, installing pollinator pathways, both of native plants, as well as culinary and medicinal herbs and also a heritage orchard where we're planting a, a wide diversity of locally adapted and, and relevant fruit trees. And we're also doing pollinator and, and berry production hedgerows with native berries, as well as uh, production berries like raspberries and, and blackberries and other things that both provide habitat for native pollinators and bees, as well as uh, you know, food for people and kind of create a, a more sheltered microclimate for the market garden as well. So is this a place that people can visit and kind of learn um, a little bit more about how some of these principles work together to make it uh, thrive more? Uh, definitely at, at the park farm, uh, the five acres that we leased, Marina Food Systems Project, there is a, it's a public park. You're welcome to come, people are welcome to come and visit it. You know, there's not always people there to, to discuss kind of what we're doing. Um, you could go to our website and learn a little bit more about some of that as well. And then we have a, our farm stand where we, we sell the fruits and vegetables that are grown on site, as well as uh, nursery plants and things like that. So people can come and talk with us, learn about what we have, what we're doing, can walk around the farm, see our production methods and all that sort of stuff kind of just see the landscape and then in the winter time the the grazing area is open at, um, and many people use it to as kind of a dog park and they bring their dogs and, and recreate there very frequently it's, it's a heavily used area and so you know I, I think that that it's it's an interesting combination of um, different opportunities for people both to, to learn about you know different agricultural methods as well as see you know the agricultural heritage of the, the region in practice and also then come and recreate and use you know the park land for you know all sorts of different uses and Excellent. It sounds like a really great kind of incubator for, you know, what could be done widely. So that's great. I'd be really excited to see that model expanded, you know, at other other parks in the region and or at you know other parks you know, nationally and, and that sort of thing as well. Great. So um, some of the services that you offer in terms of educating people and um, consulting, um, if somebody just, you know, maybe wants to just kind of get a general idea of how they could implement maybe more of the, I mean, principles into their yard, can you come and just kind of give them rough ideas like an hour or two of a consultation or is that an option as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that's what I, one of the things I provide to my business, RT Permaculture, is a site visit consultation, can be even also do a remote consultation depending on you know, how far away you are or things like that or, or what you're looking for and then uh, you know also more extensive and detailed uh, design services, you know, specifying different types of plants, how many locations, all that sort of stuff, how to utilize the permaculture design system to lay out your site using different zones of use um, based on intensity of use and sectors of natural energies flowing through the site, place different features in appropriate locations on the site. So I, I'm happy to do that with people. And usually I start with just kind of a brief phone call and we talk through kind of what they're looking at, where their site's located, and then we go from there. 
Okay, that's good. Do you think that people maybe don't initially know about the potential to maybe hold on to more moisture, even in our arid climates, that there are, you know, maybe methods of designing things in a way that helps capture that in a more effective way? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that often people are, are familiar with some of the methods, but maybe not all of them, or, you know, have, have tried a, f- a few different ways to decrease evaporation or infiltrate water on the site or improve the, their soils to hold water better. Some methods are better than others for different settings. You know, for example, in our region, you know, an annual vegetable garden, it's really dangerous to put a bunch of mulch on it because usually the mulch provides habitat for bugs that just will destroy the annual vegetable garden. They'll eat it down to the ground. So, you know, if you look in the permaculture literature, a lot of it suggests, you know, applying heavy mulch um, to your gardens and stuff like that. And that, that works great if you're growing perennial plants, you know, that have deeper roots and are larger plants and less susceptible to insect damage in particular. You know, but for an annual garden here, it would be more effective to improve the water holding capacity of the soil by applying compost, mixing it into the soil. We have some great local compost producers. And then um, the other thing that I generally use is uh, a row cover. It's a fabric that's spun polyester that allows light through, but it shelters the plants, insulates them about two to four degrees Fahrenheit, um, both from hot and cold. And it also protects them from the wind. So that those are the you know, two of the main factors which decrease the water in, in the soil and make the plants use more water is wind and heat from the sun. So if you can mitigate those a little bit, then you can um, improve the growing conditions for the plants and use less water. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your um, taking some time out of your schedule and sharing um, this information with us. Yeah, you bet, Jenny. Thank you. I, I really appreciate having the opportunity to speak with you and, and share kind of some of the things I'm doing with, with your audience. Thanks again, Neil, for all of those helpful resources and information. And now we're going to be hearing about the upcoming Growing Nevada week-long event. So today I'm speaking with Jolene Cook. Jolene Cook is a Renaissance woman who enjoys a myriad of pursuits all revolving around one central theme, fresh, nutrient-dense, and preferably local. She has a master's in health education with over 10 years of leadership experience in wellness centers, food co-ops, health coaching, and working as a personal chef. She's on the board of Reno Food Systems, wherein she enjoys project managing for the Reno Garlic Fest. This summer, she's currently working with her husband's creative agency, Neon, to bring the community Community, its second annual local food week celebration coined Growing Nevada or Growing NV. Welcome, Jolene. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, Growing Nevada. Yeah. So it was my husband's idea a few years ago. Um, we've done a few local food projects, mostly because they're my passion projects and he's incredibly creative. So I used to take him on all these farm tours and he's like, man, can we do something? <laughs> we have to go in the hot desert all the time. So we did this thing called the Meet Your Farmer app, um, which led him to thinking, hey, you know, the, the Nevada's big and there's all these awesome organizations that are doing all these different various um, fun events, but there's no kind of one central uh, you know, aggregating theme. Um, and we have, he, he's from London. So he had heard of like kind of local food celebrations from Canada, et cetera. So he's like, we should do a local food celebration in Reno. And then I have um, some good connections and uh, have a good working relationship with the Nevada Department of Agriculture. And so I wrote a grant and we received the, the funds and then, yeah, yeah, we're on our second year this year. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about the way um, the way it works. I mean, of course, we have the pre-COVID-19 way it works and maybe this year the way it's going to work. <laughs> yes, it was a little different last year, the inaugural week. We did have, um, you know, more in-person events. But this year it is, we're calling it a mostly virtual festival, but there are going to be a few opportunities for folks to gather. Um, 
mostly at the farmer's markets because they already have the infrastructure in place. Um, and then one farm stand event at Reno Food Systems where there's going to be a U-Pick and an apothecary workshop that's limited to 15 people. Um, and then social distancing measures will be in place there. So we have a couple opportunities in person and then every, every other uh, thing that we're doing throughout the week um, is a, a virtual event or a lot of social media promotion stuff. So we have Rachel here as well. Are you going to share with us, Rachel, a little bit about how you're involved as well? Good morning. Thanks for having me here. I've been pretty much just photos and then social media work. So that's, that's my contribution. Excellent. So some of the, tell us some of the farms that are going to be involved uh, this year. Yeah. Do you want me to kind of give you a rundown of the week? I mean, I can, I can kind of be quick and um, give you a little snippets. So I, I can't, I, I love a theme, right? So the whole week is kind of based on these themes. So we have Sunday is for sunflower shoots and other sprouts. And the whole concept behind the week is knowing that all these other organizations are doing all this work and um, we can help promote it when we, when we did this aggregated week. So we, we're working with Urban Roots on the Sunday and they're going to do a virtual um, workshop teaching kids and busy parents how to sprout your own sunflower seeds and broccoli sprouts. It's super easy. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to be on their farm and uh, that's at 10 a.m. And then on Tuesday or on Monday, rather, it's a put your money where your mouth is Monday. And that's a pledge. And so we're going to be doing a lot of social media stuff. We have a bunch of really authorized giveaways. And I want folks to kind of pledge that they're going to spend $10 or more on any locally grown produce, veggies, fruit, flowers, herbs, honey. Yeah, I think I got them all. So that's kind of a fun thing that we're doing virtually on Monday. And then Tuesday, it's Tomato Tuesday. We're going to be at the Sparks Farmer's Market, and we're going to be giving away one pound of locally grown tomatoes. I think we're going to do 100 pounds, so to the first 100 people. And uh, there's also a social media promotion where folks are um, tagged Tomato Tuesday and Growing Envy. And then they get entered in to win uh, these awesome prize giveaways that I've been speaking of. And then Tuesday afternoon, we're having a tomato sauce a virtual workshop. Wednesday morning, we're going to do a Get Your Five a Day for Toddlers with the biggest little baby and that's going to be a virtual workshop and then Wednesday afternoon it's workshop Wednesday Wednesday afternoon is going to be with Soulful Seeds so that's another local nonprofit that works with getting food to the most vulnerable in our community and uh, one of the part of one of the co-founders of the nonprofit is Erson Wynn he's on the board of the Great Basin Food Co-op and he's also um, Reno's garlic guru so he's going to be doing the preserve your harvest garlic workshop uh, Thursday is Thirsty Thursday and we're working with Farino Distillery and we're going to be doing a virtual event with them at a local vineyard and we're trying to get a a brewery on board too. So that's going to be kind of a mixologist uh, lesson with locally grown ingredients on Thursday afternoon. And then Friday is Farm Tour Friday. We're going to be doing a really cool melon tour at Desert Farming Initiative. They've done this melon variety. So they have like literally 10 different types of melons. We're going to be cutting into those and sampling those. That's going to be a virtual workshop. And then on Friday morning, we're going to be at Bonsai Garden Market. It's a brand new farmer's market in the area. And we're going to be giving away one melon to the first 100 people that show up. And then last but not least, we're doing that Saturday. This is the ones that are in person that's going to be at the Reno Food Systems Park Farm and that's going to be a U-Pit and there's also an apothecary workshop and those are ticketed so we'll have all that information on our uh, website which is growingnv.com as well as our Facebook. Excellent. What are some ways that you're helping community to get to know farmers aside from this event? Yeah so our website is chock full of kind of like the when you participate in the pledge or do any of the tagging on the social media if you go to the website you'll be directly connected to all of the people where you can spend those local dollars. So we have like a, a link to Urban Roots. We have a link to the Sparks Farmers Market, a link to the Bonsai Market. Um, and so we're just ho hopefully giving people kind of holding their hand and showing them these different organizations that are in town and the 
different ways that people can plug in with either their dollars or their time during the week. And then, we, of course, we'll be doing lots of social posting throughout the week, et cetera. So folks hopefully will, um, you know, find it an easy way to, uh, to know who to support throughout the week. Excellent. So do you also like to help people understand maybe the benefits of growing naturally without the use of pesticides, herbicides, and synthetic fertilizers? Yes, absolutely. This grant funding is for specialty crops, which is um, just a fancy kind of term for non-commodity things. So we're absolutely going to be focusing on like freshly, locally grown fruits and vegetables. And the good, the cool thing about buying local is that you get to know your farmer, you know, and you can talk to them directly about their growing practices. I went to the Sparks Farmers Market this morning and every single farmer that I purchased from is not using, you know, it's not spraying is not using synthetic pesticides or herbicides or anything like that. And then it's just cool to build the relationship. You know, it's really, um, I mean, food's super important. I think that's something that we've all kind of realized during COVID era is how uh, essential is probably the term, you know, to use. It is a really beautiful thing when you are knowing where this food comes from. It lessens the supply chain demand. You're building a relationship. You're helping support um, local economies. So uh, there's all sorts of reasons why it's a, a, a benefit to the larger community and to yourself to uh, purchase locally grown ingredients. Excellent. So what are some of the successes or rewards that you saw from maybe last year's event? Yeah, good question. Um, last year, my favorite event was this uh, locally grown carrot eating competition. And we kind of, we didn't blindfold people, but we did like a blind quote unquote tasting of locally grown carrots. And you could just see it in people's faces, like immediately after they ate the carrot, they, you know, the locally grown carrot or the, you know, it was just noticeable. It was fresher. It had more water content, I think. It had a snap to it. Um, and so that was kind of fun because it was like a direct connection, um, you know, for people just literally really tasting the difference and the deliciousness and that, I mean, the carrot had been pulled from the ground that morning out of Crema Farms, which is just out of border town. So basically just trying to help people kind of make it more tangible and make them, uh, you know, see the connection of it. I think in our busy lives, it's really easy to, to get disconnected. It's so easy to go to the grocery store, to go to these places, you know, Costco, Walmart, et cetera. But when you can kind of just challenge yourself to make that little a, a extra effort or just work it into your systems or your workflow, you know, like I said earlier, everyone benefits. Um, so yeah, that, that carrot eating competition was cool because it was just like the you know you could tell that it was I think it was like 80 80 20 you know 80 percent of people preferred the locally grown carrot I just didn't taste and flavor and then I guess some of the other successes were just building community excellent so Rachel did you have anything that you wanted to add also yeah so I guess that's been my role has been specifically like with local food week there's been a garlic harvest that's been happening in Reno so I've gone out to like seven different farms recently and photograph them harvesting and it all looks different like there's the same principles applied to each farm but everybody does it a little bit differently so just photographing that photojournalist view so people can kind of see like oh this is what garlic looks like like planted in the ground and then pulled out of the ground and there's a curing process and people braid garlic and so all those different things are starting to be like documented and photographed so you're going to be doing some of the photography at the event uh, the virtual events yeah, exactly. Um, and then, yeah, so then just continuing that relationship with other farms that we're partnering with in the area and the garlic harvest, like we'll be going out to other farms and showcasing like, what they're doing and continue that onto the, the social media aspect as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share this with us, and we look forward to participating. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jenny. So a quick recap. The event will be starting Sunday, August 9th through Saturday, August 15th. 
So today I'm speaking with Eva Ruiz with Low and Kind Bakery. Her bakery sells made-from-scratch organic pastries with options for vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, grain-free, and refined sugar-free. So Eva, tell us a little bit about your business. Hi, Jenny. Yeah, so thank you for having me there, first of all. Um, my business is Love and Kind Bakery, and as you just said, I specialize in European pastries. I use uh, mostly organic ingredients, and if I don't use organic ingredients, I love to use the cleanest and purest alternatives I can find. Um, if it would be up to me, I would use all organic ingredients, but sometimes the price difference is so high uh, that I would have to sell my pastries for so much that wouldn't really work. So I really try my best to still use as much organic as possible and then otherwise very clean and pure alternatives. And besides of using clean and pure alternatives, what's really important to me too is to use nutritious, dense and wholesome ingredients because I really do believe in uh, combining deliciousness. It's about it because food is about enjoyment. It's about really giving you pleasure but I do believe at the same time feeding your body as well and I love to combine those two. Excellent. Where, where are you from originally? I moved to America seven years ago and I'm from Europe and I met my husband in Europe seven years ago. That's why I moved over and I'm Luxembourgish and half German and I moved around quite a bit when I was a kid. So I grew up in Germany and Luxembourg, many years in France and also in the Swiss Alps. So, and only seven years ago, I moved over to the States. So that is why I also specialize in European pastries because I, that's where I'm from. Those are the pastries I grew up with, especially when I personally found out I'm gluten-free. I missed those pastries here in the, the States and I started having fun recreating all those beautiful German, French, Swiss traditional pastries into my own gluten-free, nutritious, wholesome versions of it. This is actually why I specialize right now in European pastries, because I just try to recreate what I grew up with, but turning them into more nutritious, packed versions of it. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, like what brought you to baking? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love talking about it because it, it as I keep saying, it's one food is, is the, the passion of my life, really. I mean, I've been standing in the kitchen. I'm not exaggerating. Since I was three, four, five years old, um, in the beginning, of course, what I was creating was certainly not eatable. <laughs> my family was very supportive and and did as if it tasted good. And then from very little on, as soon as I was able to prepare food, like five, six, I did. I was always in the kitchen. I loved creating recipes. I loved baking and cooking and sharing with the people around me. That is. is still one of my biggest joys in life. So for me to be able to combine this passion that I have since I'm little and that I've always done and I always will do and turning it into a business that I can help my family to provide to provide for my family with doing what I love is, is really a dream come true that I'm working on right now. So where are you selling your products now? What I do right now is, uh, I right now it's still just me. The business is still small, but because the demand is growing so rapidly, I, I took two persons into my team. And with those two persons, I'm looking to for commercial kitchen so that once I have a commercial kitchen up and running, I'm allowed to hire more people to help me. Just me for now, I'm selling once a week at the local farmer's market because that's all I can keep up with. I kind of worked a whole week to be ready for one market and I do normally sell out at those markets. And the one I'm selling right now at is the Carson Farmers Market that happens every Saturday morning. Uh, it started beginning of June. It's going till the end of September and it's every Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m. till 1 p.m. So I'm there every Saturday except the last Saturday in August. After that, I would be going over back to Reno because there is a market, the Riverside Farmers Market at the McKinley Arts Center that is planning to reopen this October and to go through the winter. But honestly, I'm not sure 
it's going to happen because of the virus. So I think there's a possibility that there will not be that market. And that is why I'm also getting ready for that. So with my team, we are, fine. We are thinking of ways to provide our clients through this winter with probably no contact service means we're going to still offer our weekly menu of four different pastries. Every week, the menu changes. We always have four different items every week with all those options. And instead of having a market where we're going to be selling them, we are thinking of offering a once a week delivery straight to the house door. And that is what we are working on right now. And as soon as we would have a commercial kitchen up and running and we are able to hire persons to help us, beside of that, we will be offering catering service, special occasions and special orders. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your sharing that with us. So today I'm speaking with Erica Gallegos with Green Biz Tracker. Green Biz Tracker was developed by the California Green Business Network in 2009, and through the use of a web-based software application, it allows various state programs across the country to track their green businesses and collect data. This is a framework system that allows energy, water, waste diversion, and other resource savings to be tracked. The Green Biz Tracker program in Nevada was launched by Western Nevada College and GreenUp, a Nevada-based 501c3 nonprofit. The Nevada program allows small to medium-sized businesses to become green certified at no cost and at the same time allows the state of Nevada to track its environmental sustainability accomplishments. Welcome, Erica. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your work with Green Biz Tracker here in Nevada. Definitely. So um, we launched the program in 2019. And I, as the Green Biz Tracker manager for the state, um, I've been working directly with businesses to help them along on their certification process. And it's been pretty fantastic to see the amount of excitement out there to, to participate in this program. And we've had some wonderful businesses become certified already and a lot are signing up to, to start this process. So it's been, it's been a great, great start. Excellent. Excellent. So as patrons of local businesses, what are some of the ways that green certified businesses um, are assured to be operating in maybe greener, more sustainable ways? So that's a good question. So there's there's a lot of different elements being operationally green. And I think the, the checklist for Green Biz Tracker covers all these different categories. And that includes energy, water, waste, pollution prevention, just engagement with the community and the staff as well as transportation. So it covers all these different areas and it gives you very specific measures that you can accomplish those, those reductions in, in waste and pollution and so forth. For example, um, one of the measures would be, you know, installing LED lighting in, in the building um, and that, you know, significantly reduces your energy output and consumption of fossil fuels. So there's, there's elements to each of these categories and it kind of goes from easy to tackle to a little more difficult as you go through the different tiers in the certification program. So how many different tiers are there? So there are three tiers. The first tier is the only one that's required for certification. This is a pretty simple list of probably, it, it depends on the sector. So it depends if you're a restaurant or an office, but there's usually about 20 measures to complete. And really they're not that difficult. And what we're looking for as a network uh, are businesses that just have the heart and are looking to really improve their own practices and put a plan in place 
to get to where they need to be. That's kind of the first tier. And then the second tier is more sector specific. So it'll have some more, you know, unique elements that you have to include. And then tier three is innovator tier. And that's just, you know, those champions that go above and beyond. We just, we just want to get everyone to that first level right now. Excellent. So are all three tiers no cost to businesses or is it just the first one? Yep. They're all free. They, there may be some investment required upon the business to, to achieve some of the measures, especially in the higher levels. But we, we work with the businesses to help them find rebates and resources and innovative solutions so they don't have to, to feel burdened to achieve a green operations uh, system. Excellent. So you're connecting other organizations, maybe like the EPA or things like that might have um, assistance. Yes. Okay. Yes. We're looking at local utilities um, and, and local environmental organizations that are helping. So we're trying to bring everybody together uh, to form this powerful foundation and network in the state. Excellent. Excellent. So how can a Nevada community encourage more businesses to become certified? I think spreading the word right now is really what we need. Like this is a fantastic opportunity and I really appreciate you giving us a platform to speak. Businesses that have already been certified, they're encouraging other business partners and, and you know local businesses in the area to apply. They, are, they can say, hey, it's really not that hard. It was an enjoyable experience and so forth. And so that's been great. I think it's it's been a little tough with everything that's happening. You know, it's sustainability isn't really the focus right now for a lot of businesses. But I think once you see the program and how easy it is to go through it, how easy the interface is to use, it's it's not so frightening and intimidating. It's really, it's really a good experience. So I think what everyone can do is just have the discussion, kind of bring that environmental discussion back to the table uh, during this time and encourage people to visit the website and sign up. That's, that's really all they have to do. And then a coordinator will be in touch with them. Great. So um, where can consumers uh, go to find all of the uh, Nevada green businesses? So is uh, where we have a list of an online directory of all certified businesses in the state so far. And each of those businesses, you can click on them and it has a little profile with you know why they're green, uh, what their business is, and other links to their website and everything. So uh, nv.greenbiztracker.org is where you can find all certified businesses in Nevada. Great. And the same website would give businesses a, a resource link as well? Yes. At the same homepage, there's a link to apply and there's a link to find businesses. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking time and uh, sharing this program with us. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to see all these environmental organizations coming together and, and, and doing some great work here in the area. So as a note, gogreenlocally.org, Northern Nevada Online Green Hub, also has a directory of businesses in the area. Some of them have been certified through Green Biz Tracker or have their organic certification license. The directory also includes other businesses that might be practicing sustainable methods but have not yet acquired certification. To encourage them to go through this process, we're interviewing those that have newly acquired their green certification so that they can share their accomplishments and what they're doing with their business to contribute to our community. I hope you will join me in thanking businesses that are actively seeking to make a cleaner and greener community for us all. And now a quick rundown of local events. For more information and links, please check out northernnevadagogreenlocally.org hub. We have Growing NV, as we heard from earlier, their local food week celebration starting August 9th. We have KTMB Truckee River Cleanup, September 26th. Truckee Meadows Earth Day, September 20th. Earth and Building Rosewater Ranch Workshop, September 11th. Natural Areas Conference, October 13th through 14th. And lastly, on October 14th at 6 p.m., there is a river-friendly landscaping 
course, a virtual event offered through Northern Nevada Permaculture Meetup Group. Do you'd like to report that Park Farm on Mayberry, 3295 Mayberry Drive, is going to be open Sundays from 3 to 7. They'll be offering fresh produce and food spice and pollinator nursery plant. Um, also, Reno Food Systems Mobile Market will be at 1400 Silverado Boulevard every Thursday from 9 to 11 a.m. And now for this month's Green Living Tip. So with the COVID-19 virus, as most people are aware of, most stores will not let you bring in reusable bags. So our suggestion is to avoid this. Reload your food back in your basket after checking out. Take it out to your car where you can load it into your reusable bags there. And tip number two, according to the Society of Pharmaceutical Science and Research, SPSR, we can reuse disposable surgical masks by isolating the mask in a breathable container such as a paper bag for seven days. Washing is not effective because it can damage the filter and placing it in a plastic bag can result in bacterial growth. Another strategy would be to switch to a reusable, washable face mask if you have access to one. Thank you for listening to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast. Please take good care of you and yours. Stay well and help us all make this a kinder, healthier, and greener community for all.